Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored podcast that discusses content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a new podcast discussing youth homelessness in our communities and the people on the front lines fighting against it. In this episode, we'll be explaining the effects of homelessness in the Peel region, the efforts being made to tackle homelessness, and what it will take to end it. I'm Maya Moniz, your host for this episode, and today we're joined by Daphne Nussbaum, project coordinator and analyst of the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness, a community collaborative of agencies across the region of Peel working together to end homelessness. Welcome, Daphne. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. I really am um, glad you asked me to come today. I'm glad to have you. Um, to get us started, I just wanted to know a little more about your work with Peel Alliance and Homelessness. Like, what's your background? What do you do with them? And what are kind of the, I guess you could say, the specifics of your title? Sure. So um, I am the project coordinator and analyst for the Peel Alliance and Homelessness. We're a community collaborative of agencies from across the region of Peel, working together to end homelessness in our communities. Our members include many of Peel's largest housing and homeless service providers, not-for-profits, active community leaders, and those with lived experience, as well as the region of Peel. Our table um, holds countless years of experience in the field and seeks to be the voice for our clients' unique needs. Um, We're not willing to accept the cost of homelessness to our communities and to individuals, and we are action-oriented and mission-focused. And we are committed to a functional end to chronic homelessness in Peel. And we do this through systems transformation work and advocacy work, which includes policy change. I have a quick question. When you say system transformation work, can you explain a little more of what that is? Sure. So um, we have a a homelessness serving system in Peel and and many communities in in Canada and throughout the world do. And um, they've operated in a certain way for many years that haven't been beneficial to people going through the homelessness serving system. It hasn't been a very good service. Um, So what's been happening is a lot of agencies um, have been operating independently of each other. And as well as, you know, and and maybe working with the municipality, but not really um, providing um, a good sort of way to navigate the system for clients who are experiencing homelessness. A lot of people who have been experiencing homelessness or entering homelessness um, say that it is a difficult system to navigate. So what we have been trying to do with the region, as well as other service providers, is to make it more efficient for people who are going through a homelessness journey. Um, Part of that is um, diversion and prevention, which means trying to make sure that people don't go into homelessness. And if they do, um, providing services and supports and housing based on their needs and not where they sit on a chronological waiting list, um, which is how it's been done previously. And so it's really, shifting the entire system to make it more collaborative between government and agencies and groups and people with lived experience um, so that we can um, provide a more efficient way for people to exit through exit out of homelessness. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess what an example of that be, just to make sure I'm understanding, is if you're assessing um, 
I guess like at risk or those who are at risk of homelessness on a sort of like needs-based um, requirement system. If yeah. someone was maybe like about to be evicted next week versus someone who um, maybe their lease is ending in three months and they haven't been able to find a new place. Um, is that kind of the sort of, I guess, like not justification isn't the right word, but I guess like the order at which you would go. Does that make so, sense? So uh, it's a really good question. Um, so let's say someone is in danger of losing their housing at the end of the month. And I actually did recently um, get a call from someone who sits on the lived experience table um, through the Peel Poverty Reduction Committee. Um, they contacted me because they had an issue whereby um, the place that they were currently renting in was being sold by the owner. And this is not an uncommon occurrence. So the question is what happens when that happens? Because um, all of a sudden someone, and this person happens to have a family, finds themselves in dire straits. And so, um, it, again, because we're still, you know, working, doing the systems transformation work, it's not always easy to figure out who to talk to or where to go. So I did speak with this person and the challenge that the main challenge that they were having was that their application for another rental um, was not being accepted because of their credit history. It's a barrier. So what do you do in that case? So you have to find a way to connect um, that person to the appropriate service that will help them mitigate the issue. And so in this instance, I connected them to um, an organization called CIRA. It's a Center for Equality of Rights and Accommodation. And um, they help people who are facing possible evictions for various reasons. And whether that's legal support or understanding their rights as tenants and what they can do or how they can work around um, is really, really important. So that's that's sort of an example of preventing someone from being, from being homeless and potentially having to go into a shelter. If someone is if someone has lost their place um, for financial reasons or they lost their job or you know they were kicked out and they find themselves having to navigate the system, then they have to find a place that's going to or what we call an access point, which will bring them in and um, through, a, through an assessment, understand what their immediate needs are and then find a way to connect them to those services that they need as well as housing, but in a way that's um, based on prioritization of their needs and not so much again where they fall onto a list. And the other aspect of it is if they go to like an access point, like a shelter that isn't sort of for them, like they, they, you know, the demographics are different, then that shelter has the ability to connect with another shelter. And rather than having this person having to tell their story multiple times, they don't have to do that because their needs are already sort of, their needs have been identified and there's a way to coordinate that journey, if that makes any sense. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I'm really glad to hear that that's like something that is being done. Because when you said not having to tell your story like multiple times, like I know firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand, just how like draining that can be, especially for individuals with a more traumatic story, like maybe they're escaping um, any sort of like abusive household. So I think like that particular service, I think is really good. So yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, no, and and you know what? It's it's taken a, like it, it take a while to sort of wrap your head 
head around it because it's such a big change. But I, but it's it's proven to work. And and as you said before, it reduces um, it reduces people having to tell their story time, over and over again, which of course can be triggering. And um, and you know, no one wants to have to do that. It's exhausting. So so just having to having to do it once and having that information there and being able to relay it to um, other providers um, can be very, very beneficial, especially um, for the client in question. So on the topic of homelessness in the Peel region, I did want to get into a little bit of statistics, my favorite part. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Peel region has placed forth an initiative to guide development of nearly 6,000 new affordable rental units, supportive housing units, and emergency beds on Peel Housing Corporation sites and regional surplus lands by 2034. Peel's community stakeholders demonstrated strong support towards the goal to end homelessness. The service provider surveys revealed that 80% of participants either agreed or strongly agreed that ending homelessness in Peel was possible. So I wanted to ask you, as project coordinator and analyst of the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness, you've overseen a pledge by the region of Peel to work towards a housing and homeless action plan. Can you tell me a little more about what that action plan entails? So I just wanted to clarify this question, if you don't mind. So were you talking about our evidence-based needs report or their 10-year housing plan? So I think we're talking about their 10-year housing plan. Okay. Though I think it might be a good idea um, if you would like to, is like, you know, like to kind of contextualize the plan with your housing report. Yep. That's fine. If there's like any sort of like big takeaways that would help to kind of you know, paint why that, like that housing action plan is like meaningful. Yeah. So, um, so the region appeal has made affordable housing a priority. Um, in 2018, uh, regional council endorsed a 10 year appeal housing and homelessness plan, um, which provides a roadmap to creating a community where affordable housing is available to all Peel residents and homelessness is prevented. Um, I believe that their goal uh, is based on five strategies, um, in, and the main objective is to get, help people to get and keep their housing. Um, so the five strategies in this plan include um, build more affordable housing, provide incentives and tools for the development community to build, make best use of existing stock, create more units, increase supportive housing and supports to existing tenants, and transform service across access to prevent homelessness. So, I mean, when they developed this plan in 2018, I don't think that they or anybody else could um, anticipate the pandemic that was coming her way. So Mm -hmm. that has inevitably led to not necessarily the plan being delayed, but certainly has um, had an impact on um, moving forward with certain aspects of the plan. I mean, development still goes on. The, uh, the concern, I guess, we have around development, uh, affordable housing development is affordable housing is a um, questionable term because um, affordable housing is, I mean, it, generally speaking, it applies to middle-income households. So when we say affordable housing, it means access for middle-income households, but not necessarily low-income households or people that are experiencing homelessness. So when they say de- the development of affordable housing, well, they could they are developing affordable housing, but the question is how how what percentage of that affordable housing is going towards people on, with low incomes or who are experiencing homelessness. So this is something that we are monitoring um, at the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness, 
and we're advocating for. Um, we, and on, on October 28th, we went before um, regional council to present our um, evidence-based needs for how housing and homelessness services, um, which was uh, which was a study that was conducted in the winter of uh, January, 2021. And then um, the report was actually presented in May of 2021. Um, there were um, 13 recommendations and um, and then several sort of sub recommendations. And um, we, we shared this with a with council and we also said that we would like to see um, more subsidies allocated to people who are experiencing homelessness as well as more um, housing uh, affordable housing or deep, or what we call deeply affordable housing so that you know people aren't spending um, a certain amount of uh, their income and it shouldn't be over um, 30 percent if you are low income on housing or on rentals so um, I mean, we also found that based on their 10-year plan, it's estimated that 70% of households earning under $60,000 a year are at risk of becoming homeless. Peel shelter data for 2020 indicated 11% of people staying in shelter are chronically homeless, while during Peel's 2018 point-in-time count, um, 32% of those um, who participated in the count were chronic, were, uh, were experiencing chronic homelessness. And then a According to the Center for Evidence-Based Solutions to Homelessness, it is estimated that most people, or at least 75% of people who are experiencing homelessness, will experience it for a short period of time, while the remaining 25% experience chronic homelessness. Um, so that's kind of a lens that we looked at, um, just based on their plan. But that being said, um, Peel has... Peel Region is moving forward on, um, on the systems transformation work, which is one of their strategies within their 10-year housing plan. And in the new year, um, they are launching um, a centralized information management system um, that service providers can use, which will help, um, which will help all of us um, understand who's experiencing homelessness and how long they're experiencing homelessness for when they're coming in and when they're exiting. So a cert certainly more comprehensive and coordinated approach um, to monitoring homelessness. Uh, one thing I would also say is that um, we need to do better um, in terms of uh, like housing stock and Peel needs to put more of its, um, I guess, funding towards um, ending homelessness rather than managing it, which is giving, you know, which is adding more shelter beds or improving shelter spaces. That's just managing homelessness. That's not ending it. And it's not a solution. I hear what you're saying, especially with that last point, because it almost seems like by putting a bandage over, you know, like the problem that is homelessness by providing those extra beds, um, you know, just like general extra resources for individuals who are already on the streets. Um, it really is just kind of, pushing aside the real issue of the fact that these individuals are on the streets they don't have a place that they can truly call home so if we can provide proper homes for these people then we would at least to me in full disclosure I'm not a math person but this seems like it just makes sense it seems like we would be spending less money on the issue if we just funneled more of that money into solving the issue rather than managing the issue like you said right you're absolutely correct. Um, permanent housing is, what, is what's required to end homelessness. And in some cases, permanent housing with supports. 
for people with higher needs is a way to end it and, and keep people housed. And those are the kind of investments that the region and other communities um, should be making because um, it's, it's a known fact that um, providing housing to someone is far cheaper than having them go through the shelter system and other institutions. So, um, which is, and, and it's, we keep repeating it over and over again. And, you know, while it's, while it's not necessarily within our means to do that, um, we just have to keep advocating and, and reminding people that, you know, the, the system is not, <laughs> is not a solution or the system as it, as it stands right now is not a solution. Everybody deserves a place, a permanent housing. Everybody deserves a home. 100%. On the topic of, I guess, chronic homelessness in general, I was wondering if you could go a little more in depth about the overall state of homelessness in the Peel region. Yeah, so um, I think that there were some demographics that um, you were looking for, and um, I do have some to share. Now, um, every two years, um, communities in Canada are mandated to hold what we call a point in time count or a pit count. So it, it measures um, homelessness at one specific period during one specific day. So the last one that was carried out was in 2018. And then there was another one that was supposed to happen in 2020, but the pandemic, um, you know, we weren't, we couldn't do it because of the pandemic. And, um, and so Peel in October actually did uh, the point in time count that carried out the point in time count that they were hoping to do in 2020. The difference being that um, there weren't that many volunteers this time around. Um, the point in time count has um, historically relied on volunteers to help um, carry out that enumeration and conduct surveys. But this time around, it was carried out by staff and agencies. And, um, and then there was just sort of a general count of um, the estimated or the number of people experiencing homelessness on that given day. So I'm going to refer to the 2018 point in time count because the results from the October count won't come out until February. And maybe we can regroup and look at it, like do a deeper dive. I don't know. But, uh, but so in terms of 2018, um, the main age groups and demographics um, were 16% uh, of people 55 plus um, were experiencing homelessness, 24% of people between the ages of 16 and 24 were experiencing homelessness, and then 60% of people between the ages of 25 and 54 were experiencing homelessness. Over 60% identified as male, 34% identified as female, 1% um, identified as transgender and 1% identified as genderqueer. Um, in terms of who, um, the majority of respondents identified as white and Caucasian, 49%, and black or African Canadian, uh, which was 21%. This was followed by South Asian, 7%, and biracial at 4%, meaning the individual identified with more than one race. 9% um, of the survey respondents identified as Indigenous. And um, historically speaking, um, Indigenous people um, are overrepresented in the homelessness population. It's crazy. 0.7% mm -hmm. um, of the population in Peel identifies as Indigenous. So um, having 9% of the resp survey respondents identify as Indigenous was, you know, 
quite a quite a stark um, statistic. And then 72% of the surveyed population identified as Canadian citizens, while 21% identified as being a landed immigrant or in the process of applying for Canadian status. And 3% identified as a refugee or refugee claimant. We also have veterans in Peel region, but um, at the time of the count, only 2% of respondents served at the Canadian Armed Forces. The other um, interesting demographic is that it is around family homelessness. 13% um, of the respondents reported to be experiencing homelessness with a child. Not a good place for, for anybody to be in. Absolutely. So, um, and then just, just in terms of how many people were um, counted that um, during that point in time count, 922 people were found to be experiencing homelessness in Peel region on the night of April 24th, 2018, um, while 30, uh, 338 of those individuals completed the pit count survey. So it's, um, again, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the 2021 pit count comes out in February because of COVID, um, there are things that will have obviously changed. Um, maybe less refugees, maybe more people experiencing homelessness because they lost their jobs. It's um, so it'll be we're we're sort of anticipating the report to come out to see um, you know what what <laughs> what's been going on um, in the homelessness sector. That's actually really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. I honestly read wasn't... off of a whole bunch of things, but <laughs> and take what you want. You don't have to use all of it. <laughs> no, I mean, all of that was like so interesting. Um, I didn't even know that the sort of like point in time count was something that was that detailed and that specific, which perhaps was a little like naive of me, but I'm happy it's that specific and that detailed because I think these are all sort of um, like these are all statistics and demographics that we need to be like almost painfully aware of because all of this is a problem. Um, I also am interested to hear about the 2021 results because I can only imagine that I think the overall percentage of like homelessness and Peel will have gone up, especially with all the evictions happening. Um, Unfortunately, like, yeah, yes. that's yeah. yeah, and that's and that's what we're kind of waiting to see. Um, but uh, but the the other thing I, I should point out is that you know it, it's just a, a representation of that particular time. There may have been more people experiencing homelessness, but they may have been experiencing hidden homelessness. So people that are um, couch surfing or staying with family and friends for an extended period of time, we don't know if they were counted. We I mean chances are they weren't counted. And then there are people who are living rough that you may not be able to capture um, because they may be just in very remote locations. So it's not it's not 100% by any means, but it, it certainly gives you a snapshot and also helps inform um, the programs and services that need to be provided um, based on the results. Absolutely. I'm really grateful that, you know, again, like that it's even like a count that is made, but I also really appreciate that you brought up hidden homelessness because you know, kind of in my sort of experience and like having been able to, you know, chat with people on the podcast, but also just get to know more and more people as I've continued down this line of advocacy. Um, hidden homelessness really does seem to be the more prevalent form of homelessness in Peel. Um, don't quote me on that for like at all, <laughs> but that's kind of just what I've been able to pick up on. So I think it's definitely important to note that that wasn't necessarily um, or was most likely not necessarily counted 
but that it's absolutely a reality that happens. Unfortunately, yes. And I wish we did know because, I mean, it would certainly help us um, understand, you know, what, where it's happening, why it's happening and who it's happening to. And also, again, um, developing strategies that help address this issue. But, you know, there, there may also be um, cultural aspects of it. Like, you know, where there are certain um, cultures that, you know, just you can't, you can't be, you can't live outside of a home regardless. So, um, you know, it's always interesting to uh, see what people, what the circumstances are for people experiencing that. Um, what I can say is that through our evidence-based needs study, um, and part of that study was actually surveying um, providers and people with experience and people at the region and other stakeholders, but we found that the most common reason people reported housing loss was not income or affordability, rather a family friend or friend conflict or breakdown for both youth and adults. Um, it does mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that housing is affordable, rather more people are likely to share accommodations due to high housing costs. The second um, main reason was people's inability to afford rent, which is, you know, a given. Um, the theme of housing affordability and ac access to housing benefits was probably the most prevalent theme throughout the research. And I would say that, um, so one of our statistics was that 53% of people reported um, a conflict with family and friends as the reason for their housing loss. So, and then the, and then 26% said that they were unable to pay rent. And then there were a few other factors, but that was, uh, that was quite a stark statistic for us. And so the, it begs the question, why are people leaving homes because of, you know, conflicts? What's going on? But like, to me, that seems like a multifaceted question too, because I kind of think of, I think you said before, a lot of, you know, like maybe like close friends with families are kind of buying houses together because it's really the only way that you can afford a house in Brampton or Peel, really just in general. Um, so then I guess like question one I have is why is that a thing that's happening? Why is housing not more affordable? But then exactly like you said, question two is how are we experiencing such severe breakdowns to the point where a family or an individual or like a partnership, like they need to kind of, you know, leave that housing situation um, and like, you know, like couch surf or even just be on the streets or in a shelter. Um, yeah, like it just seems like there's so many different pieces. I also want to say that um, I'm almost wondering if due to like stigma that kind of surrounds homelessness and the way that we kind of visualize homelessness in the media, I'm wondering if a lot of individuals who might be experiencing hidden homelessness wouldn't even consider it a form of homelessness because they in fact have a roof over their head on a given night. I'm wondering if it's kind of just, it's not sort of a reality that we kind of I guess we as a society are so like willing to acknowledge because we have the idea of like, well, if you're homeless, it's because you either you put yourself there or right. you have to be on the streets yeah. or you have to be in a shelter or something. Um, but again, I think really understanding that like almost the majority, if not the majority of homeless individuals right now in Peel are homeless because of just human conflict. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, you know, the stigma certainly um, has a lot to do with it. And 
I mean, no one wants to. Certainly, if they're if they're couch surfing, would want to admit that they're that that constitutes homelessness. I think a lot of people, I've I've, I've encountered several people, um, you know, in my own life who have had to live on other people's pet, like because of a divorce, or you know, immediate separation, or just just circumstances that kind of led them there. And it's it's a very um, it's a very tough thing to uh, to face. And but the reality is, you know, anybody can become homeless. We're all I'm not saying we're all one paycheck away from it, but in a lot of ways, um, we're all vulnerable, um, some certainly more than others. And um, and I think that, you know, once we understand that people who are homeless don't choose to be there, no one chooses to be homeless and no one. And, and if you ask people that are experiencing homelessness, they would say they don't want to be in a shelter um, because of you know various conditions that currently exist, and and of course again the pandemic made it that much worse. And some people, um, while they would love to work, um, they may be working, but it still doesn't afford them a place of their own, and they may not be able to work. And we know that social assistance rates don't currently meet the cost of living right now. So, I mean, a lot of things, there are a lot of um, factors that are out of people's hands um, that cause them to be, you know, stuck in this vicious cycle. And I, and I do think that um, there needs to be more awareness around why, how people end up in homelessness and, and why. And also just compassion, compassion for people and, and understanding why they, why they are where they are. Um, you know, it's it's there. There are a lot of people who have become homeless who you would never think would be, but but you know, circumstance can just change things. So um, so I think that you know, I I think we're better than we used to be as a society, but I still think that we have a lot of um, work to do around the issue of nimbyism, which is not in my backyard. You know, not mm-hmm. not wanting to extend your community to people who are marginalized because you know, because of issues that they may have and things that you don't know about. So, I mean, there, we, we still have quite a bit of work to do to address this. Um, but we have to understand that, you know, most people who are in this situation did not choose to be there by any means. Um, I, I also feel like that is something that we definitely need to work on. And I really like the term like NIMBYism. So is that like N-I-M-B-ism? Like the acronym? Yes, yes that's it. That's really yeah, clever. So generally I'm, take, I'm taking that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we say, it, you know, so it means not in my backyard, right? And then, mm-hmm. but, but we're trying to practice yimbyism, which is yes, in my backyard. And that has to do mm-hmm. with, um, uh, that has more to do with community outreach. And again, helping people understand the issues and trying to um, give them some information to help them um, understand the the challenges that the people who may be moving into their neighborhood experience and to, to come across as more compassionate. Uh, it's a hard ask. It's a hard ask because a lot of people are very set in their ways, but um, you know, but it's our job to, to try and change that. On the topic of Yimbyism, if you will, um, <laughs> the housing crisis is, you know, across all of Canada, it is a growing I'm going to call it an epidemic. It's a huge issue, but is. many people are of the opinion that Peel region is among the worst, if not the worst, when it comes to housing prices. Do you agree as well, or do you disagree? Um, I definitely agree. 
Um, there are uh, uh, like several communities throughout the GTA um, that have made it very impossible for people to obtain, um, never mind like ownership, rental. <laughs> like, rental is very out of reach um, at the moment. Sorry, ownership is very out of reach at the moment and mostly affordable to people in that sort of higher earning income category, while the rest of us are, are struggling. Um, especially those with a middle income, certainly no, we know low income. Um, but yeah, housing rentals have been out of reach for majority of Peel residents. Um, and according to the most recent Greater Toronto Area Market Tracking data, uh, which took place in 2021, um, this and it came out in March, home and condo prices hit an all-time high in terms of average price. So to put that into context, um, over a 10-year period, uh, Toronto, um, the prices increased 128.4% um, in Peel, 154.9%. This is over 10 years. So December 2011, um, well, they have it to sort of 2019, but I mean, it's, it's relative. York Region was um, an increase of one 134.6%. So right across the board, um, all of these communities have been dealing with these, you know, exponentially high housing rates, making affordability, affordability um, nearly impossible. And then, of course, we knew that, you know, the rent stock um, was very small, um, not just in Peel, but also Toronto, like the vacancy rate for Peel, I think before the pandemic was something like 1.2%, which is very low. Um, so, you know, this is, <laughs> with all that, um, there's a lot that needs to be done to address the issue of how we make housing more affordable and how we increase our stock. Um, and again, this is right across the board there. And of course, there are reasons, um, that for, for this all occurring. Um, I believe you asked about the systemic inequities impacting those experiencing homelessness. That was definitely my next question on the okay. list. I was <laughs> going to reiterate it. So, okay. yeah. No, you're good. Get us right into it. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, this, again, this some of it's feel specific, some of it's just general. Um, but lack of community resources in Peel um, include, like, there is no integrated healthcare team that focuses on people in shelters and those who are living rough. So that has, uh, that's, that's a big gap here. Um, there is an organization that have been trying to help with that um, called Homeless Health Peel. And so when the pandemic started, um, they actually um, were serving people who were um, placed in isolation centers because, because of the pandemic. Um, but that's something that's definitely been missing here. Um, you know, lack of funds for people to keep their housing or who are at risk of eviction. Um, lack of digital access is a big one because a lot of people um, don't have access to computers, don't have access to phones. And if they do, they may not have access to Wi-Fi. And during the pandemic, that was like the main means of communication. And so when people don't have that and they, and, or they can't go and get free Wi-Fi somewhere, how are they supposed to connect with anybody? I mean, it's incredibly isolating. Um, you know, no caps on rent increases or rent control, which is, something that the, uh, provincial, the current provincial government uh, put in place. 
um, low social assistance rates, which people had you know, been advocating for higher rates for as long as I know. Um, in, a, in a community like Peel, there may be a lack of cultural supports because of you know, the, the diverseness of this region and, um, and not enough tools for prevention and diversion. And again, that could be, you know, come in the form of housing subsidies or ensuring someone that, you know, <laughs> that gets help uh, from being evicted. Um, but again, you know, when you have something like the Landlord Tenant Board, which conducts all of its hearings online now, and people don't have access um, to technology, they're, they're stuck. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a rut. So, so yeah, there are definitely um, a lot of um, inequities that, again, exist within this region and all over the place. Um, but, uh, and then the other structural factors include racism and discrimination, um, and especially when it comes to affordable housing. So, you know, these are things that we really have to um, look at and try and address. I mean, it's obviously difficult to do everything at the same time, but we, we need to be aware of, of what's preventing people from living um, a better quality of life. And communities have to play different roles within each of these levels to reduce and end homelessness. Um, but they do have the greatest influence at the systemic level because that's how we leverage funding, adopt evidence, inform practices. So like, you know, our, what our data says, what we need to do. It also means we can coordinate efforts and make informed decisions based on the data that we do collect. That makes a lot of sense. That was a lot of information, but I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, if anything, people can rewind. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. I'm just, I am giving you a lot of information. Really, I honestly, it's better when we have a lot of information to kind of sift through if we need to, than yeah. when, you know, someone just is here and like, they don't really want to talk. So then right. I'm just like, well, <laughs> no, like absolutely. Fill in, fill, in the, like, fill in the silence, yeah. <laughs> but no, truly, like it's better to have more information than not enough information. So sure. I really appreciate how thorough you're being because at the end of the day, we're here to educate. I think you've mentioned at some point that there was just kind of, um, you know, like there are different kinds of organizations that are trying to fill in these gaps. But then, you know, like at the end of the, of the day, they do need help and support from like the region of Peel. So I kind of yeah. did want to ask you, um, what your, I guess, general thoughts are on the different organizations, such as REST, um, you know, that are building services and programs that are designed to tackle these needs and peel? Yeah, so I think that REST um, provides a much needed service um, in the region. And when I learned about the organization, when Dagma um, reached out to me, I was like, this is fantastic, because, um, you know, you're not going the shelter route, you're actually working, and I'm not saying, you know, youth don't need shelter, they do, but they need homes, in addition to programs and services that will better equip them um, as adults. And I was so encouraged to see um, the work that REST is doing around um, prevention and diversion, which again, is hugely important. We don't want, we, especially youth, we don't want them to fall into um, the vicious cycle of homelessness because it's one that's very, very difficult to get out. Um, but the fact that you guys provide rent subsidies and support programs um, like mentorship and counseling and education, life skills and employment training, the fact that you guys are hosting this podcast um, really um, says a lot about the organization. And I, I, I mean, 
what REST is doing is very integral to the success of youth who are experiencing challenges in their life. It, it, it's empowering and it's giving them the power to um, do what they need to do to better their situation and, and hopefully help others who fall into that situation. I mean, the mentorship piece is, is huge. And I, I always believe that mentorship is, um, you know, it's, it's so important, especially where youth are concerned. So there are a lot of really good service providers out there um, who, who are addressing the needs of different populations. I think that there are some areas that are certainly lacking. Um, and one of those areas is supportive housing. There's only one organization that are now two, there's a second one coming in, but that provides supportive housing. So that's housing for people with very high needs who require intensive support um, if they are in housing. And so there's not a lot of that in Peel right now. And one of the areas that we would like to see growth in, um, and the region has um, put it in as one of their objectives is to increase um, supportive housing. Because again, there's only sort of one major um, service provider that addresses it and they also provide mental health services um, but again it's it's more about you know moving into permanent housing rather than um, providing shelter support which is not going to solve the problem exactly like what we were talking yeah. about before with you know bandages versus like foundations exactly. yeah before we continue learning about homelessness in the Peel region and what the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness does to fight it, I wanted to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see from us in the future. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our communities and the youth who are going through similar experiences as Daphna mentioned, you can get to know us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. Now, let's get back to the episode. So we've talked a bit about the Alliance says, but then I wanted to segue a little bit into what kind of the everyday person in Peel, like what they can do. So right. what are some of the opportunities that an everyday person might have that they can use to help the causes that Peel needs help with? Absolutely. It's a really good question. Um, I think education is a big component because again, I think that especially when it comes to homelessness. And I certainly was guilty of doing this before I entered the sector, not really like ignoring it. You know, yes, it's been around and it's still gonna be around and uh, someone else will do something about it. I'm not gonna concern myself. Um, so I think that we've <laughs> been far too long where, you know, we've allowed this become, to become normalized. I mean, homelessness has existed, you know, for centuries. But, you know, the fact is it shouldn't, it shouldn't, no one should have to go through um, this horrible experience. So I think we really have um, a duty to educate the general public, continue to educate the general public. I feel the most effective way of doing that is, is storytelling. I think people who are willing to share their stories um, can, can make a really big impact because you're, you're, learning about it firsthand from someone who's gone through it. Um, but then also becoming aware of the issues that pe put people in this situation and why are they in this situation and what are we doing about it as a society? I mean, it's not acceptable. And just like so many, like, you know, hunger isn't acceptable and lack of healthcare isn't acceptable. So why is not having a home 
<laughs> you know, acceptable because the social determinants of health are connected to housing. If someone has a roof over their head, they're better able to function. So why is it that this, you know, it's a crisis and it should be treated accordingly. Um, I would also say that people could get involved, volunteer. Um, advocacy is always welcome, you know, fighting for change. Um, and that means, you know, doing, connecting with local government representatives on every level, municipal level, provincial level, and federal level. And I will say that next year's election year um, for, you know, provincially and municipally. And this is an opportunity to hold our elected officials to a higher standard, you know, make mm -hmm. them you know, talk, like they, they want your vote. So make it known that these are what you'd like to see them focus on. Housing is a priority. Affordable housing should be a priority. And, um, and so this is an opportunity. I mean, this election, upcom these upcoming elections are an opportunity for people to really get involved and mobilize and, and, you know, get involved with campaigns. And I mean, it's so easy to get in touch, like, you know, for those of us that have access to technology, we do have an opportunity to email people. We do have an opportunity to call people and, and demand change and what those changes look like. And I think using your collective voice is really, really important. Um, and then, you know, looking at, and, and part of that should be demanding affordable housing because it affects everybody. You may not be homeless, but you may be struggling. So you think that's gonna, like, it's not gonna change for you. Um, so, so really helping people understand the issues at hand. When we were, um, Kill Line Send Homelessness hosted a sort of day of action um, right before the federal election in the fall. And part of that just included, we, there were a bunch of volunteers who signed up to do some on the ground canvassing. And the, the focus of our campaign was to vote housing. It was a nonpartisan campaign. So we weren't aligned with any particular party, but what we were telling people were, was to like, housing affects everybody, affects all of us. Look at what the parties are talking about when it comes to housing and demand that they address this crisis, demand that they address this issue because it, it does affect you. And a lot of people really understood that. You know, they like, I mean, I, I did some canvassing in Mississauga and, you know, I, I was really worried that people would like not take my pamphlet or not listen to what I had to say. But, you know, when you put it in the context of housing affects you and, you know, if you, you not doing something may lead to something that will put you in a very precarious place in the future. So, I mean, you know, creating the sense of urgency and just, you know, a collective concern. And then also looking at the systemic barriers that currently exist. How can we change them? What do we need? What do we need to advocate for? How do we use our voices to, to get people um, into action mode? So it's, it's, I mean, it's not a lot that we're asking for, but I think, you know, again, it's as a society, we need to do better. The government, we know the government needs to do better, but we can, we, we are, we can influence um, that kind of change. So I'm hoping that, again, with these two elections coming up, that people will really look at what's going on. I mean, the pandemic has certainly, um, you know, raised a lot of issues and that people never thought that they would encounter, but here we are. So what needs to be changed in order to make life better, not just for people experiencing homelessness, but for all of us. Listen to the people who have experienced homelessness or have gone through poverty. They are the experts. They need to be sitting at every single table 
where policy is concerned or where, or where advocacy is concerned, they know best what's needed. So the more we can include them in those conversations and have them sit at those tables, um, the better informed we will be in order to make the changes that we need to make. I truly agree with you on that front because um, like I'm a firm believer in kind of like nurture over nature, you know, in like that kind of like sociological debate or I think it's, it might be anthropological, but either way, you know, the idea of someone is born into who they are versus someone's experiences kind of make them who they are. And I truly believe that one's experiences um, are really sort of like the deciding factors in like the, you know, like the presenting factors of someone's personality, someone's, what their beliefs are, what their sort of priorities are. It's really like from what they've experienced. So I definitely agree with you. I think it's important that we are elevating the voices of the people who have been impacted by homelessness in the past or poverty in the past, or are currently being impacted by homelessness and poverty. Because I really like what you said. They are the experts. They're the people who have most recently kind of been in the deep waters of these issues. And they, from a strong firsthand experience, they know 100% what they needed and never got in those moments. So I, I'm repeating myself, but I thoroughly agree with you on that front. <laughs> and I certainly love to um, see more people um, who are ex- who, with lived experience um, go before council and talk about you know their challenges because I think that council is more likely to sit up and listen if they speak than you know those of us that are sort of working <laughs> to change the system. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I love numbers, but numbers can only do so much. I think lived experience really does make the absolute difference. So if you or anyone you know has lived experience with these issues, um, you know, do what you can to figure out how you can get your voice heard. Um, And I'm sure like there are so many different organizations in Peel that are really just looking for people to elevate, you know, like to really, you know, get voices heard, get sort of conversations Maybe we can put you on the podcast. Who knows? Um, just do what you're comfortable doing and tell your story the way it needs to be told to really just, you know, get people to listen because there are so many people who want to listen. Yeah. I'd also say too that like, you know, in my, in, in, in meeting people with lived experience in Peel so far, um, a lot of um, the people I've spoken to are often single moms. Like, what are we doing to help single moms? I mean, I'm a single mom, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not putting, you know, I, I have my own, you know, struggles, but like, there are a lot of women who are um, living under impossible circumstances. And I, you know, I, I do, I, I, I will say that I, I have the privilege of working from home and, you know, being able to accommodate um, learning for my kids in case we have to go back to virtual learning, which is quite a possibility, but there are a lot of people who don't and they have to go out to work and they can't support their children and they can't support themselves. And like, why is this happening? It shouldn't be happening. Um, I think, I think you know, I, I think we've really, or society's really failed a lot of women, single moms, um, because mm-hmm. they do everything, you know, they, and, they, and they have to keep it together for themselves. So why aren't we <laughs> doing more around there? But, um, but yeah, I will say that 
you know, some of the people I've encountered um, in Peel on this journey so far have been single moms. And I'm, I'm gonna say from Afro-Caribbean communities. And that's not okay. It's absolutely not. Yeah. Um, what I wanna know next though is, you know, we've talked about all of these sort of like really awful issues and kind of things that we need to see change. Um, we've also talked about different ways that um, people in Peel and even outside of Peel are trying to actively help, you know, mitigate this issue and end this issue. I wanted to know if you believe that, you know, someday in the future, distant future, far future, if like homelessness and housing issues will be a thing of the past in Peel. Do you think we're on the right track for that right now? So I, I, I saw that <laughs> saw that question and I was like, hmm. Let, should I? <laughs> you 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 can lay into you can lay no, into no. peel, or we can skip this question. It is up to you. We can totally yeah, disregard um, this question. So I, I, I'm trying to be an optimist, and and I I want to say yes. Uh, the question mm -hmm. is, if and when when we're going to get there, I'm not quite certain. Um, there's there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I mean, if we do get there, I won't have a job anymore. So that's not a bad thing because mm -hmm. it means that we did our job. Um, and again, we do have targets within the region that have been mandated by the federal government through its reaching home program. Um, but it depends on a lot of factors and that includes funding from all levels of government, a commitment from all levels of government to, to address the issue of homelessness and work together to end it because right now the different levels of government aren't working together efficiently. Um, getting that community buy-in and the idea that we can end homelessness if we respond, you know, if we, if we do collective impact. So all about it is, a lot of this is collaborative. Um, you know, we also need better social assistance rates that reflect the cost of living and renting a home and addressing all the marginalized groups that are the hardest hit um, in the area of homelessness. And that could be, you know, addictions, um, safer injection, safe, uh, sorry, safe injection sites, um, you know, not creating uh, policies that make it absolutely impossible for people to rent and or keep their homes and aren't, you know, evicted for, for one reason or another. There's, there is a lot of work that has to be done before we get there, but I feel like um, we have shifted. And I mean, I've only been working in Peel for about like a little over a year and a half. And I mean, I have seen some, some change come forward with our systems transformation work, but I certainly would like to see um, our elected officials become a little more involved and also, um, you know, a, like change their, change their mindset um, and commit to a right to housing. So we actually have um, a coalition uh, was started in October, a right to housing coalition. Um, that focuses on um, the idea that everybody deserves um, accommodation that's safe and accessible and affordable. A right to housing doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're going to get a home, but whatever you are, you know, if you are getting a home, it should be um, for better quality of life and not for something that you're having issues with or, or struggles with. So getting um, regional government officials to sort of buy into that and commit to it is what I would certainly like to see. And again, I would like to see um, more people get involved in advocacy, including those with lived experience, because 
you know, the more we speak up, the more we um, mobilize, um, you know, the better chances we have uh, for getting the outcomes that we want. So, you know, Peel is, I mean, there are some other communities out there, to my knowledge, that are, are you know, failing in, in this regard. And it's not, you know, a fault of the people that are trying to change things. It has more to do with their, um, you know, their, their governments um, who aren't kind of stepping up in the ways that they should. And the one thing I'm was really pleased about was that, um, well, so Peel has encampments and a lot of those encampments were a result of the pandemic. Um, there are communities like Toronto and, and Hamilton who have um, removed those encampments by force and Peel hasn't done that. And so it says to me that Peel does, you know, does believe in a human rights approach. Um, but again, we need to do we, we need to do better and we have a lot of work to do. And, and I think that that comes from change in our mindset. 100%, very powerful words to end on, I think. Um, it was a big question I asked you, I'll be honest. So I think um, what I'll do is kind of just, you know, kind of funnel it down, bring it down to the core. Um, where do you want this discussion to go? And what do you think, you know, like I and our listeners, what should we tackle first? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, sharing um, this podcast is, is, a, <laughs> is a good thing um, because it kind of, it, how should I say that? No, that's not really what I want to say. How can we tackle the issues? I, I think, you know, like I said, um, knowledge is power. Learning about um, the current issues that exist within the region, not ignoring what's going on in the region as far as um, lack of access to housing and funding for housing um, it should, should, shouldn't be unnoticed. Um, also being a little more um, supportive and um, practicing empathy and you know even acts of kindness can go a long way. I, uh, I, I mean sometimes you know I, I work I work you know in my home and um, I work through my computer but but then I go out on the street sometimes and I see people and, um, you know, if it's incredibly cold or incredibly warm, you know, just even going up to somebody and saying, how are you doing? How can I help you? Um, sometimes they may just want a meal. Sometimes they want money, but just not ignoring people. And, and, and you know, they're not, <laughs> again, they're not there because they wanted to be. It's because they didn't have a choice. So not treating people like they're, you know, complete outcasts within society. They're not. They all came from a place and we need to understand, they all came from somewhere and we need to understand that. And we need to practice more empathy and compassion and really, um, really look at how we can change, you know, it, it's change within ourselves and it's also change on a systemic level. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're, you keep getting me with these like big, like, you know, they like just keep coming at the end. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm you, you, you catch me every time. And I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I don't, it's always like, there are things that take me aback and it's like, you're right. But now I'm speechless, <laughs> but no, generally, just generally, um, thank you so much for your time, for your continued work with homelessness and peel and, you know, like truly just like your knowledge and your insight and your, you know, your statistics and your opinions, all of, all of it is super appreciated. I think you had a lot of very poignant things to say, and I think all of which are very important. So again, just thank you for being here. 
Thank you so much for um, for providing this platform. I think it's really great. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't wait to hear more of the episodes that come out of this. And, uh, and yeah, keep, keep elevating those voices and keep doing what you guys are doing, which is an amazing thing. I mean, more power to rest. NIMBYism, or the idea of not in my backyard, is a growing issue when it comes to the conversation and activism surrounding homelessness in Peel. We learned today that the more we come together to support those experiencing hidden or overt homelessness, either by volunteering on the front lines or lobbying our government officials, the more we can make positive and active change towards the elimination of homelessness in Peel. Like the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness says, we need to move from nimbyism to yimbyism, because yes, it is in our backyard. This wraps up the fourth episode of Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks. If you want to follow up with Daphna and the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness, you can visit their website, 20khomespeel.ca. That's 20khomespeel.ca for more information. If you're interested in supporting another cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show on Spotify and Amazon Music so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by the Rest Centers through the special dedication of our producers, Jonathan Lugos and Ludwig Chapman, and our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.